0: 1209, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. As I grow older, I become a little bit more philosophical. and I. But I admit, I haven't figured out when my time is up, I haven't really figured out how I want to go. I, I'm thinking maybe 30 years from now, after having a hole-in-one on a golf course or something, you go back to the golf cart and, and just kind of like quietly pass away. I, I've been thinking about that. I know how I don't want to go. My goodness, head-on, ramming into a semi head-on going the wrong way on the freeway. Of course, you know, we've been telling you about the problems on the roadways. I mean, another one of these freeway, wrong-way drivers, and I guess at some point in time we'll find out whether alcohol was involved. But this this is an ongoing problem with people driving the wrong way on the freeways, and this one ends, I, I can't imagine, well, I mean, I guess there's many horrifying ways to go, but driving the wrong way on the freeway and slamming head-on into a semi, oh, Wow. Well, the freeway is now, in fact, open. All right. We start off the program like we start off every program with three big things. Matter of fact, this is one for big story number two. It is one where a picture is perhaps worth a thousand words. Um, it's, it's a photograph of a guy who decided to attend a costume party that was being held at a shopping mall in Omaha. His choice of costumes has generated a lot of attention. We're going to be talking about that a little bit later on in the hour. If you want to get a head start on the story, and if you want to see a picture of what this guy thought it was appropriate to show up as, um, you can text the word, Costume, costume, C O S T U M E, costume to four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text line, and, and we'll send you a link to the story, and you can see the, the you can see exactly what the guy looked like when he showed up at the shopping mall. I will describe it to you later on, so you, it's not like you can't participate in the program if you don't see the picture. But if you want to see the photograph, um, you can get a head start on that. Text the word costume, C O S T U M E. Two four one four seven nine nine one six twenty, 1620 which is the acunate mortgage talk and text line, and we'll get you started. Um, all right. Big story number one, it was beginning to break as my program was ending yesterday. The fact that you have a, a terrorist activity, and there's no other way to describe it. A guy who came into this country, not because of merit, But because he participated in this, he won the lottery, literally, in Uzbekistan, came into the United States, has been here for the last seven years, and either was radicalized when he came over or became radicalized when he was here. But he takes a a Home Depot truck and drives through New York City, slams into a school bus and slams into other people on a walkway in the heart of New York City, kind of by ground zero. Obviously, you've probably seen the images by now. The guy gets out screaming, God is good, God is good. He's shot by law enforcement officers twice in the abdomen. He is going to survive. Um, eight people have died. At least 12 others were seriously injured, and I mean seriously injured in some per- certain circumstances. I will tell you, this one, th- these always kind of hit home, but um, recently, having gotten married, my, my wife has six sisters, and so you got six sisters, you got six brothers-in-law, all really, really nice people, and I'm, I'm close to all of them. Just last Sunday night, I was at dinner with a couple of Fran sisters, and the brothers-in-law had a wonderful evening, and and one of her sisters, Maggie, and her husband, Franz, who's an interesting guy. He's from Bonaire. But they were going to New York. They were in New York when this this happened. And I, I admit, you hear the story out of New York, and the first thing you're thinking of is, "Gee, um, you know, could this have been, you know, our, our family members?" And it and it wasn't. And that's. But but there was a lot of tourists who were injured in this particular situation. Five people from Argentina were among the casualties. A um, couple people from uh, the Netherlands. So I mean, this was a an equal opportunity terrorist. And again, it is a terrorist who came into this country through this visa program. He did, and, and I mean, I don't, I don't want to be hand-wringing about this, but he did what has been commonplace now. He followed the steps that ISIS has set out. ISIS says, okay, these are the ways that you go about it. You take a common instrumentality, in this case, a, a, a rented truck, And then you drive it in a fashion as to cause the most possible carnage you can. We've seen this in Nice, France. We've seen this in London. We see it in the United States. And the reality is... Um, Because of the nature of our society, there's not a lot that you can do to stop somebody from being able to rent a vehicle and drive in this type of fashion. There's not a lot. I mean, look, there's arguably things that you can do with putting, you know, certain barricades and stuff on the sidewalks so people can't drive very far. And I'm sure, you know, they'll look at things like that. But the truth of the matter is this is one of those situations where if you want to take a common instrumentality and you want to turn it into an item of mass destruction, there, there's little that we can do to stop it. I mean, there's only so much you can do to regulate who rents a truck or who buys a car or things like that. And this is the situation that we find ourselves in, being exposed to this type of behavior. But, and here here is the but, that doesn't mean that we necessarily shouldn't be looking at the types of people that we are allowing to come into this country. Now I understand that some people hear that and then this, oh my gosh, you know, you're talking about you know this type of profiling or or that type of, of profiling. Well, the truth of the matter is, there is a reason why you hear the term profiling, and that is because law enforcement is able to set up certain profiles and identify certain characteristics of people who are prone to engage in these type of activities. In the aftermath of this attack. President Trump, number one, came out and expressed you know, his sympathy to the, the victims in this case, um, but also he came out and said, I have just ordered Homeland Security to step up our already extreme vetting program. Being politically correct is fine, but not for this. Um, He went on to say, In New York City, it looks like another attack by a sick and deranged person. Law enforcement is following this closely. Not in the USA. He also went on, President Trump did, to denounce... The program that this guy came into the country on, uh, again, just a lottery system. And the president saying, hey, if we're going to continue to open up our our doors to people, what we need to do is base it more on a merit-based system as opposed to somebody simply, you know, wins a lottery, gets a visa and gets to come over here. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, I know some people are upset about this, but you know what? When President Trump talks about extreme vetting, I think he is onto something. And I understand there's people who say, oh my gosh, this is terrible, including some federal judges who say, oh, th- this is awful. You know, we're trying to ban all Muslims. No, that's not what he's talking about. But it's saying if we're going to allow people to come into this country, number one, perhaps it should be based on people who have something really to offer this country by merit based. And number two, maybe it should be people who are coming in from countries um, who are not likely to go out and, and rent. A truck from Home Depot and drive it down the streets with an idea of trying to kill as many people as possible is Trump on to something when he talks about extreme vetting 414-799-1620 I think yes we discuss next if you're on the line please hold on 1218 Jeff Wagner 620 WTMJ it's
1: 1220
0: Jeff Wagner 620 WTMJ President Trump saying okay this is another example of why the horrible situation in New York is why we need to ramp up our extreme vetting program. If we're going to be bringing people into the United States, we need to, first of all, make sure what their backgrounds are to determine whether or not they pose a danger. And secondly... Uh, maybe we want to be asking, gee, what do they have to contribute to this this country? In this particular case, this terrorist came in not because he had any sort of skills that we needed here, but rather simply because he won a lottery in Uzbekistan and then at least for the last several years has been apparently hanging out with a whole bunch of terrorists. Now, was he radicalized after he came over here or was he prone to this in the first place? Don't know one way or the other. All I know is eight people are dead, 12 people are are seriously injured as a result of this guy following the ISIS instructions to AT. 414 DJ on the south side, your first. Good afternoon.
2: Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. A uh, really good topic. Thanks. And uh, I just want to say, I do appreciate, you know, our president, you know, wanting to take some bold action. A little bit concerned, though, uh, about, you know, making laws really drastic like this. It's really reactive, I think. Uh, bottom line is most of the, most terrorist acts that happen in United States are domestic ones, so we, maybe we put a dent in some of it. And the merit thing—if it's based on financial issues—I mean, this is what goes on in, in Mexico. The people that are able to come here and get drug cards or get uh, green cards are it's drug dealers because they have the money to invest and like they show they're investing three hundred thousand in the U.S. economy. They can, you know. Get well, I think what he, car. what
0: Trump, what the president is talking about when he's talking about merit is that there's some that there is some skill that we need here in the United States as opposed to simply, again, you're, you, you win this lottery so you know anybody can come over. This guy possessed no specific skill. I mean, because I mean, I, I, you don't want to cut off immigration. You just want don't, to – don't we want to have some sort of control over who comes over?
2: Well, which we do already. And I think, you know, I have a friend that, you know, did this lottery system too. I mean, you're still vetted, and the idea is to bring diversification. And I'm retired military. And I can speak on behalf of the military. It's what's made this our country so strong. Is our military so, so strong? Is that we've had such an incredible diversification? A guy mm-hmm. can come from any country in the world, work hard, and become a become a general mm-hmm. officer. You know.
0: Well, I don't. But, I mean, you got to understand, it's DJ. I don't think anybody. I, I'm certainly not. And I don't think the president is talking about eliminating immigration. I, I, I don't believe that's the case. It's just a question of in today's day and age. Do we need to do more as far as making sure who it is that's coming into this country does not intend to do us harm? And if we're going to put some limits on immigration, doesn't it make sense to make certain that, you know, we're checking out those people that are coming into this country? And maybe, again, that's the whole that's the whole thing behind, you know, the Trump immigration thing, which will ultimately be upheld by the courts. Right now, you've got a couple of liberal federal judges who I think are going to end up with blood on their hands before too long. But just asking the question. All right. Let's especially when you have people that are coming in from some of these countries that really aren't countries in the generally accepted sense but maybe they're sympathetic to terrorism or they're just more like regimes and and they're not screening the people that are coming don't we want to make sure we know who is coming in and that they're not going to pose dangers um to us 414-799-1620 let's talk to jeff in Muskego. jeff you're on 620 wtmj good afternoon
3: hey jeff thanks for taking the call uh seems like everything old is new again. And by that, I mean, up. you know, they, this country closed off immigration until about 65. There was no immigration, OK, or very, very limited. All right. Prior to that, some of the questions that we asked immigrants coming in were, what are your job skills? How many, you know, how many kids do you have?
0: Right. Uh, who, where are you going to live? You, who, who is right. sponsoring you? Exactly. Right. All those type of things. Sure. Do you speak English? All of this was
3: asked back in the day when the first great wave of immigrants was coming in from Europe. And if you didn't answer the way we wanted you to, we didn't let you in. Right. So whatever Trump is wanting to do now is, you know, I mean, it's not like they're going to say, are you a terrorist or do you love ISIS? Because who would answer in the affirmative to that? He's just saying, look, there's certain areas of the country that are of prone the world. to yeah. of, of the world that are prone to having more you know, terrorists come from it. I don't get what the big kerfuffle is over this.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, right. It, well, I mean, the, and part of the argument is, well, you're discriminating against Muslims. Well, no, because. Uh, for example, that the countries that are, in his extreme vetting program, the countries that are identified, yes, um, many of them are majority Muslim, but, but there's all sorts of countries around the world that are majority Muslim that don't fit, fall into that category, I, again, because part of the things that we are looking at, I, I say countries, and it is only in the most generally accepted sense. I mean, look, here. here's the bottom line, and actually, um, Uh, You know, the former governor of New York kind of hit this on the head. He said, here's the problem. ISIS, which is losing. I mean, ISIS is losing battles. But what they're trying to do is they're trying to identify these lone wolf or these small sort of sex. And and ISIS, um, simple formula, and they put it out on the Internet. I mean, this is no secret. This is like the terrorist handbook. They're saying, all right, you rent a car, you rent a truck. You find a heavily populated area and you drive with the idea of trying to hit and kill as many people as possible. They hate America. um, New York is, of course, a a, a principal target, not to say that there's not other targets, and unfortunately this is going to continue happening. I don't know that there's a magic bullet. Matter of fact, I know that there's not a magic bullet that we can do to to stop a guy from renting a car who's inclined on trying to kill as many people as possible. But at the same time, I don't think that means that we have to be foolish and just stick our heads in the sand and say, "All right, well, we're just going to continue with business as usual. That would be irresponsible. It's 12 Twenty-seven. this is jeff wagner coming up next big story number two if you want to get a head start on it um i've got a picture of a guy who shows up at a halloween party if you want to see what he came dressed as text the word costume c-o-s-t-u-m-e to four one four seven nine nine one six twenty, and i'll share with you the photograph if you don't do that i'll still describe the uh the outfit and then we'll move from there it's 1227 this is jeff wagner It's 1235, Jeff Wagner, 620, WTMJ. So, Gru was producing the show today and always. Did you dress up for Halloween? No, you did not. Do you ever go to costume parties? Every other year. See, here's the problem. You, You never, in today's day and age, you never, the whole purpose behind Halloween is to be edgy or at least for some people it's to be edgy you know i mean now i understand you can go dressed up as a piece of fruit or something like that or a firefighter or a police officer but you know in many cases you have people that want to use halloween to kind of push the envelope and the problem with pushing the envelope is there's always somebody who's going to be offended the um yesterday i was having a conversation with an old friend of mine and we were walking down memory lane by the way You know what today is, Gru? I didn't tell you this. You know what today is? Today is the start of the 20th year of this program, inclusive counting. I've been at WTMJ. I started in July of 1988, but the full-time noon program started on November 1st of 1988. So we've just completed 19 years, inclusive counting. This is the start of the 20th season of the program today. Here we go A- absolutely and they said it wouldn't last well, you know so um yeah I, I was just that, that November 1st it was November 1st 1988 that it started full time like I said I've been doing some part time stuff but anyhow yesterday we were talking about. I was talking about that with an old old colleague former an old colleague of mine um, and we were we were talking about you know like different things that had happened over the years and this this has to go back this story oh gosh it's got to go back 15 years um, there was a DJ who worked on our, our sister FM station. And what happened is he got hired by, it wasn't even a station event. He got hired by a, a bar or something a, to emcee to a Halloween party. You know, that's it. You know, come meet. You know, so, so he goes to emcee the Halloween party. And so it's not even a station event. So the, the guy's up on stage and they have a, a costume contest. And so what they do is they 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 pick a winner of the costume contest by the the DJ, you know. Will you, you get the people who want to participate up on stage, and you walk one over another. you put your hand over their head, and people apologize. People uh, applaud. You know, that's it. Kind of you go you know, costume by costume. Hey, how do you like this one? And people applaud. Okay, so the the guy is you know he's on the stage and he's doing what he's been paid to do. Um, the costume that wins is a guy who is dressed up like. The Aunt Jemima character that you see, you know, if, if if you go into the supermarket, you go into Sendex today, you know, and you'll you'll see the Aunt Jemima character, you know, but it, it's it's a guy who's dressed up like Aunt Jemima. All right. So somebody, you know, turns this into a story and the muckraking journalists the, at the paper are calling up and people are demanding apologies and everybody's outraged. And I mean, it wasn't a station event. And it's not like the DJ even came dressed like that. He's just like, all right. You know who, who's the winner of this cut con- but people are all outraged about that I remember that story like it was yesterday and it is still this way today so Halloween is always one of these kind of iffy sort of things you want to be edgy but at the same time you know are there limits as to what's appropriate and things like that especially in 2017 all right so here is the story and if you have already texted the word costume to four one four seven nine nine one six twenty, 799 which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and text line, you'll see this. Uh, it's a shopping mall in Omaha. And last weekend, they had a, a giant Halloween party that was for adults and children at the shopping mall. You know, and the idea is that the kids would come and that they, you know, they do trick-or-treating in the mall and things like that. And some of the parents came in costumes as well. All right. So here is the guy who decides to um, show up at this shopping mall. Um, His name is Hugo Mendoza. And he's thinking about what's an appropriate costume to wear to these Halloween parties where there's going to be a lot of kids. So what he does, he claims he modeled his costume on the 2010 Ben Affleck movie called uh, The Town, which is where Affleck and a bunch of his buddies play bank robbers in Boston. The, the costume is essentially, um, imagine a Grim Reaper's cloak. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's like a shawl, a coat with a big hood over it. So imagine, like, the, imagine something that looks like the Grim Reaper would wear it. So what he, what he does is he dresses entirely in black. He then puts on the the Grim Reaper's coat with the hood that comes down and essentially covers his the, the big cowl that like covers his his head. At that point in time, he then decides that what he's going to do is he's going to take a fake a toy. Um, it looks like a, a toy AR fifteen. You know, it's a it's. It is. It is not a real rifle, but it is. It looks like it is a real rifle, and he shows up at the party, dre- at the Halloween party, dressed in, dressed in um, again this shawl, carrying the gun, huh? And as soon as he shows up, people freak out and start running. He's also carrying a duffel bag along with him. People start running. They get freaked out. They end up having to cancel the, the show, um, the, the whole party. Um, they interview him, and he says, well, um, you know, um, it's, it's a costume. I mean, if it was something bad, why should I be able to buy it? I was there to have a good time with my daughters and my girlfriend. I wasn't there to scare little kids or make people feel uncomfortable. He says the toy gun was purchased at a local costume store he says, well, even though you couldn't see it from all angles, it did have one of those orange tips on it to indicate that it was, uh, again, a fake. But people are absolutely and totally freaked out. He says, hey, I was just dressed up like the character from the movie. I don't understand why people are so upset. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet mortgage talk and text line. Um, one of One of the headlines. The headline in the New York Post on this is, Idiot wears ISIS Halloween costume with toy rifle into packed mall, right? He says, hey, this is a costume. I mean, come on. The purpose of Halloween is to be edgy. I didn't come dressed as the character Freddy from Nightmare on Elm Street. You know, I could have come dressed as Jason. I was modeling this outfit after, like, the movie Our Town. Did the guy cross the line, or is this an example of people, again, being too sensitive, 414-799-1620. I will tell you where I come down on this, and we'll discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1243 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 1245 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So Drew, who's producing the show, should I read this promo as it's written? I'll read it as it's written. Ready, Rested and ready to go, the Green Bay Packers host the Detroit Tigers in a primetime game Monday night. Um, no, actually, they will be hosting the Detroit Lions. Whoever was writing that obviously had baseball in their mind. Gene Miller is joined by the man in charge, head coach Mike McCarthy at 625 tomorrow on Wisconsin's Morning News. Look, I, I, th- this is an issue that comes up at, at Halloween. Halloween is designed to be edgy. You want to push the envelope. What happens is there's this character um, who shows up. At, actually, he went to two shopping malls in Omaha over the weekend. Um, these were shopping malls that were having kids and adults dress up Halloween type of parties where you come and trick or treat. It was in connection with one of the YMCA's out there. His costume of choice is essentially like a Grim Reaper outfit, you know, with the, the big he comes all dressed in black. He's in black with black jeans, black shoes. He comes up with this cowl over his face like a Grim Reaper type of thing. He is carrying a dark what appears to be a firearm although it's it's a toy firearm it does have that little plastic orange tip at the end although it wasn't necessarily visible he's also carrying a duffel bag um which could have had more weapons in it um you know but he's saying hey i'm coming as these characters out of this 2010 bank robbery movie called uh, our town this is what i'm trying to model this after well anyhow he shows up people absolutely freak out Right? Was the reaction unjustified? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let me just start this off. Okay, in today's day and age, and while I rail against politically correctness, political correctness all the time, and while I appreciate that Halloween is supposed to be edgy, what in the world could this guy have been thinking? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Danny in Milwaukee. Danny, you're first. Good afternoon.
3: Hey Jeff, I definitely agree with you. Um, just in the idea that some people don't think with. Well, have was in Vegas and so on. The guy goes ahead and does that. The only thing that he could do worse would be showing up at the Jewish community center
2: dressed as Hitler. <laughs>
0: well, or, 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 or along those same lines. Now, I mean, Danny, I guess uh, to me, and I, I want to be, thanks for call, I want to be real clear here. I, maybe, maybe, it, th- I'm not saying that this costume would necessarily be inappropriate everywhere. For example, if he was invited to uh, a costume party being held by, by one of his buddies, okay, and you know you know it's going to be grown ups there and it's going to be adults and you know maybe you're going to have somebody dressed up as the naughty nurse or, or whatever okay if it's if it's a party hey i'm having a party i'm inviting you know our, our friends are coming over let's all dress up okay in that sort of situation maybe it would be appropriate but that's not the situation that this idiot wore this to he shows up in a public place at a at a costume party that is geared towards kids in a public mall, and he shows up wearing uh, wearing this outfit, but also carrying what, at least to a lot of people, looked like it was a real firearm. You know, of course that is going to freak people out. And his response is, well, you know, they shouldn't sell these costumes then if if people can't wear them. Well, it's not that you can't wear the costume. It's that maybe you should have had the sense that God gave a goose to know that you don't wear this particular costume to this particular event. 414-799-1620. Martha in Elkhorn. Martha, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yes, good afternoon.
2: Thank you for taking my call. Um, um, Well, the first caller... I agree with him and with you. Um, I don't care if the gun had plastic bubblegum coming out of it. It was a gun, and there's a lot of stuff going on, and the whole costume thing in that, you know, in not a private scenario, but right. like, like you said, it's a, he's either mentally retarded or a freak. Well. And I, I totally think people are so there's so many of these people i don't know where they get they get their idiot ideas and and turn those over and and teach those to their children i feel sorry for our future generation
0: well it, it is i mean thanks to call it it's kind of scary and we don't use the r word on this program but um but but obviously he's not thinking clearly at all when it comes to the situation like i said, again i i i think there's a time and a place for everything I love Halloween, and I love the idea of dressing up, and, and actually, if, if I, if, you know, if once we, we get into our new house and we decide we're going to have a Halloween party and, and one of my friends wants to show up dressed as the Grim Reaper or whatever, they're going to be absolutely more than welcome because you know who's coming in there and all those types of things. I That's fine. I don't mind edgy. But at the same time, we're not talking, again, that private party. We're talking somebody who thought it was appropriate to show up wearing this particular costume at a mall. Give me a break. All right, when we come back, big story number three. And I I had to actually, I had to wait a little bit before we got into this because my blood pressure is going to go through the roof. There is a, um, it it is, I I hope we never lose the ability to be shocked by by some of the criminal activity that goes on. I think one of the things, I I always remember back to Columbine, and when, when Columbine first happened, and I was doing this show at the time. And, and I remember, you know, we, we talked about it for a week or two because people just couldn't believe that you'd have these latchkey kids that would show up and start shooting up the school. Well, all right, as, as school shootings became more and more common, our, our level of outrage, we, we just kind of got used to it. We get used to things. One of the things that I am worried about in this community as we see more and more examples of just horrendous criminal behavior I am worried that we are losing our ability to be shocked. There was a crime that was committed the other day in Greendale, which is, as I was describing it earlier, it's right out of the Truman Capote book, In Cold Blood. I'm going to share the details with you, and then I'm going to use that as a launching point for the the larger discussion about whether life in prison without parole is an appropriate penalty for two animals that would do what these two animals apparently did to a 76-year-old man. Stick around. It's 1252. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1255. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Um, I want to share with you the details of the, the criminal complaint in this particular case, and I'm going to use this as a larger talking point, including for everybody who thinks that gee, you know, we shouldn't be bothering the people who live in these homeless camps, and it's just this wonderful thing. Well, okay, here here is the story. Um, Two men have now been charged in connection with the death of 76-year-old Kenneth Lattice at a residence in the village of Greendale. He was murdered on Saturday, October 21st. The two that they have charged are a 42-year-old guy named Calvin Fleener. Uh, I'm looking at their mugshots, and again, it, it's it's difficult and perhaps unfair to judge a book by its cover, but 42-year-old Calvin Fleener looks like, exactly like the type of person that would do something like this. Um, his compadre, his co-defendant, 22-year-old James Johansson. All right, here is the story. This is what the criminal complaint says. Um, Greendale 911 dispatch received a phone call on Saturday, October 21st from a fantic, frantic female caller screaming, he's tied up. Greendale police responded to a residence on Westlake Drive. When officers arrived, they found the 911 caller was walking around screaming, he's dead, he's dead. Police say we knew it was a crime scene. Officials found the victim identified as 76-year-old Kenneth Lattice, deceased in the bedroom at the residence. His hands were tied behind his back, and both of his feet were tied. It appeared he had been hit or punched in the face. An autopsy says he died from suffocation. All right, so you get the... And this, by the way, is a 76-year-old man who has terminal cancer, had terminal cancer. Investigators identified the suspect's 42-year-old Calvin Fleener and 22-year-old James Johansson because the victim previously had had contact with Fleener the day before Friday, October 21st, uh, October 20th. Prosecutors say on that day a package was delivered for someone that Lattice, that's the victim, knew. When a woman came to pick it up, Fleener was with her. The next morning, investigators say Fleener approached a friend, that would be Johansson, in the homeless camp in Milwaukee, where they lived, asking Johansson if he wanted to get some money. Security video at the residential complex where the elderly gentleman lived, caught both of these guys on camera entering and exiting Lattice's uh, residence. Lastly, security video from the Milwaukee County bus system showed the two men in the minutes after the crime. In the video, Fleener, that's the 42-year-old guy, was seen saying something to the effect of, we did good, and also giving a high five to Johansson. We did good, giving a high five to Johansson. This is after these two animals had just strangled suffocated tied up the 76 year old man we did good when we come back i will tell you what it was that they did that they considered to be so good and then we're going to use that as a launching point on a broader conversation so stick around it is twelve fifty-eight. this is jeff wagner 620 wtmj we did good Let's high five ourselves after killing the 76 year old man. Stick around. 108, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, where did we leave off? These two animals in the homeless encampment decide that they are going to rob the 76 year old man in Greendale. They take a bus to his residence, they go up to the door, they knock on the door. Um Surveillance video shows them coming out of the place, and then later on on a bus, one of the two of them, they're high-fiving each other. We done good. All right, so they then go out. The police search the area around the residence. They, they recover a cordless phone handset in the Root River where it crosses Grange Avenue, um, the 76-year-old man, his missing cell phone, and an additional portion of the missing cordless phone were also recovered from the river. So the two animals stole the phone, threw it in the river. After investigators arrested the 22-year-old, he, according to the complaint, spoke at length about what happened in Greendale. He said... Well, um, he didn't know what they were going to do until they arrived at the residence. He had just been told by the 42-year-old guy, here, we're going to go get some money. He said that when they knocked on the door, the 42-year-old, that would be Fleener, asked the old man if he could use the bathroom. The man apparently said no. The 22-year-old said that's when Fleener pushed the victim down and demanded to know where his wallet was. The complaint indicates Fleener stated, I've got to make sure he does not call the cops. 22-year-old said that that's when Fleener asked for a pillow and then suffocated the victim. The complaint also indicates that Fleener told his compadre, his compatriot, to look for a cord. Fleener went to a phone, ripped off the cord, and tied up the victim. Johansson told police all they got from the robbery was approximately 100, $160, dollars which he, that's the 22-year-old, took out of the wallet, gave to Fleener, and Fleener split it with him, gave him back $80. Um, They took all the phones from the residence and on the way to the bus, threw them in the creek. In his interview with police, Fleener admitted to punching the victim several times. He also admitted he gave all the money they got from the victim to Johansson, and they threw the phones in the river while walking to a bus. Uh, Johansson was taken into custody by Greendale police near the homeless camp where he lives in the city of Milwaukee. Fleener surrendered to the Milwaukee police and was turned over to the Greendale police. Um, they will be making their initial appearances, such and such, such and such. One hundred and sixty dollars. These two animals traveled to Greendale, participated in a home invasion, suffocate, beat the man, Beat him, suffocated him, left him tied up, and stole his wallet. $160. You want to talk about life being cheap. And you want to talk about, again, for people who say, oh, you know, these homeless encampments, oh, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, why are we bothering people? Well, all right, this is example A of the type of people who gravitate towards this. All right, I have in my hands the criminal complaint that has been issued by the Milwaukee County District Attorney's Office. And for the life of me, I, I don't understand this. It, they're charged with first-degree reckless homicide, which is a Class B felony. If there was ever a case that screamed out for premeditated murder, This would be that case. But the district attorney in Milwaukee County, who has problems overcharging and undercharging cases, sees this as a first-degree reckless homicide case. They went to rob him. They strangled him. They killed him. And you're not charging this as premeditated murder. I have no clue what is going on in John Chisholm's head on this. They also charge him with burglary and things like that felony murder, party to a crime, all those type of things. But, again, not premeditated murder, when this is clearly first-degree murder. On top of that, our number, 414-799-1620, which is the Accunate mortgage talk and text line. Now, I understand, based on the charges thus far, even if we had a death penalty in the state of Wisconsin, this, it would have to be first-degree intentional murder. They, They have, in my opinion, grossly undercharged this offense. But could somebody explain to me why in a situation like this, and again, the state has to prove people guilty beyond a reasonable doubt, I I get all that, but assuming the state meets its burden of proof and assuming that the facts are alleged as alleged in this complaint, isn't this a case that screams out for the death penalty? I mean, seriously, you have these two homeless people, these hobos or whatever, who go over to this place with the intention apparently to rob this old man end up taking him hostage, tying him up, beating him, suffocating him, and taking his wallet. And isn't this a case that absolutely screams out for the death penalty? 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I know we don't have the death penalty in the state, but it is cases like this that seriously make me question, why not? We discuss next 4147991620 that's the accident mortgage talk and text line if you're on the line please hold on it's 114 this is Jeff Wagner 620 WTMJ It's 117 this is Jeff Wagner 620 WTMJ this is big story number 3 and and the reason I I spent time on this is I I am legitimately afraid that given all the out-of-control crime in this community, that we just get desensitized to this stuff. Oh, there's another shooting, there's another murder, and unless it directly impacts your family, you you just kind of tend to say, oh, well, okay, just just more of the same old, same old. Every once in a while, there are crimes that I think should shock, completely and totally shock the conscience of any decent person. And this is the example of it. These two homeless drifters who couple people on the text line are saying it'd be interesting to know what their criminal records are because i don't think you wake up one morning and just decide hey today's the day that we're going to go rob and beat and suffocate a 76 year old man so it would be interesting to see how many times either one of these guys has been through the criminal justice and i use that in quotation marks uh in the state or in milwaukee county or whatever but but here you have a situation where you have these two Members of a homeless camp take the bus over, force their way into the residence of a 76 year old man in, in Greendale. This is a nice neighborhood in Greendale. Suffocate him, beat, beat him, then suffocate him, then leave with $160. And they're seen high fiving each other, congratulating them on the job that they ended up doing. I am sorry. If this offends some of the civil libertarians or some of the squishy people out there who don't like tough on crime attitudes, I'm sorry. But this is a case that, to me, grossly undercharged by the district attorney's office once again, but screams out. This is the poster child for why the state of Wisconsin needs the death penalty. Vulnerable victim. Um, the type of brutal heinous conduct that should shock society and even if they prosecute these guys what it means is they're not going to be homeless anymore they're going to be getting three square meals a day presumably for the rest of their life and access to cable tv and prison workout facilities and libraries meanwhile the 76 year old man um dead under some of the most horrific circumstances imaginable david and mequan david you're on 620 wtmj good afternoon
1: uh, good afternoon jeff um, yeah, basically, I, I look at this and I totally agree with you in the fact that we have out of control situations with, with, uh, crime and everything else. And I was just going to point out, but you did, with the high fiving. I mean, they're congratulating each other. Yep. I mean, and you never, ever hear very rarely, uh, other than I think when it was like Sheriff Clark or m- maybe an alderman. Uh, that would say, "Hey, listen, you know this is this has got to stop." Yep. Uh, you hear silence, and, and the victims in this case, this 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 older gentleman. I mean, it's like, oh well, well, you know that that's the way we kind of schluff yeah. a lot of things off.
0: Yeah, and, we we do. We get immune a, to it, it, it because stuff. oh, it's another day, it's another shooting. Well, okay, mm-hmm. uh, this is not that kind of case. That this could be this could be you know us David at some point in time but it could be your mom or it could be your dad or it could be your grandfather I mean th- this is it's this type of scary randomness that's going
1: on there and and I wanted to say one additional thing with John Chisholm I don't understand him at all nope. I, I you know I'm not sure if it's the lead in the water that he's drinking there at the courthouse these days but I mean you, you think uh, you know how he, he could not charge murder uh, for this it's just it's just unbelievable
0: right no thanks for i mean right how how this could not be first degree intentional homicide instead reckless reckless homicide and and again i mean we we don't have the death penalty in different but first degree intentional homicide that's life in prison you know that is life in prison this is you know 60 years but how this is a case that screams out i mean they you you want to talk about a premeditated killing this this is this is it now they didn't do it with guns. they did it with you know strangulation they beat the man honest to goodness I mean you wonder. You you wonder what they're thinking, especially when you look at some of the the charges they've issued. But I but I mean I, I digress. That that's that's the least of I guess the issues here. I mean again, it's just another example of the DA's office undercharging a matter. But but this is this is going on. This is Greendale for goodness sakes. I, I mean. This is Greendale. And what is going on at this homeless encampment? I mean, seriously here, you know, what is going on? What type of people are roaming the, these streets? I mean, is this an ongoing sort of thing that we're just going to, you know, look the other way when you've got all this criminal activity that's there? I mean, seriously. Let's talk to Jeff in Wauwatosa. Jeff, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good afternoon
3: how you doing i was waiting for you to come up with this topic i'll tell you until we change our prison system get rid of plea bargaining you do the crime you do the time the other thing is hard labor teach these guys how to cook clean build a house grow their own food whole nine yards take away their tvs give them four walls and let them earn some privileges prison's too easy my friend
0: well, I mean, it, well, I mean, it, I mean, thanks for calling again. I mean, you you have the, these two homeless drifters, and I don't know what the criminal records are, but now, I mean, now they're they're going to be off the streets theoretically um, for a long time. There's going to be some people that are going to be extremely sympathetic to the 22-year-old. Well, he says he didn't go over there intending to kill him. He just went over there intending to rob him, and it was the other guy. Th- this is. You know, the, the interesting thing about this and what really struck me is I, I'm sure perhaps you have either seen the movie movies or read the book in cold blood, which was written by Truman Capote. And it really it kind of started the 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 true life fiction thing. I mean, it, it was tr- in in cold blood was based on the, the these two drifters. Who you know? One of them had been in prison and had heard this, this this rumor that there's this rich farmer in Kansas. I've been actually past the In Cold Blood house. Um, the, 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 this rich farmer in care in Kansas. I want to say it's the Clutter family. I think that's Cutter Clutter family. Um, and and so what they do is they travel to Kansas. They break in. They tie up the family. They end up killing the husband and wife and the son and the daughter. But um, as they're looking for money, because there was rumor that they had a safe that had all this money, they get just like this. They, they they kill these four people. They get absolutely nothing. They go on the road. They end up getting caught. Truman Capote wrote the book in Cold Blood. There's a very chilling movie about this. It's remarkable the similarities here. I mean, here you have these guys that decide they must have thought that this older gentleman had money. I mean, you you wouldn't think that you would go over there to rob him and to kill him simply to get 160 bucks. So they must have thought that there was big money somewhere in this house. Um, but 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 again, now here you have the situation where. We, I, I, just, I don't want you to lose your outrage over this. I, I guess, and that's why I've been spending some time on this. Don't lose your outrage. I mean, there, there's all this criminal activity that goes on. We get numb to it when you hear the stories about, well, we've got the woman that was, you know, people are getting carjacked right and left, and you've got shots fired, and you've got little children that are getting hit on the mean streets of Milwaukee. Well, here you have a 76-year-old man in a nice suburban neighborhood. I know people who live three blocks away from where this occurred. And they are absolutely stunned. This is a nice suburban neighborhood where you would never expect a couple animals to come and decide that they're gonna commit a crime like this. But it shows that crime is so out of control, it can happen just about anywhere. And candidly, it's another one of these reasons why I, I think if we were to, and I understand the trends are against this, but if you ever want to bring up a case that I think calls, screams out for the death penalty, this is that type of case. It's 125. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 128. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. What's the likelihood tax reform actually gets done in Washington before the end of the year? Senator Ron Johnson weighs in with John and Melissa at 334 in Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Now, see, to me, the question isn't tax reform, but the devil is in the details. What are they talking about doing? Are they going to take away 401K deductions or significantly limit them, which would essentially destroy middle-class savings um, for retirement? Are they going to penalize people in the state of Wisconsin, by taking away property tax deductions or the ability to, do, to take out state taxes. I understand they want it to be revenue neutral, and I'm all in favor of that. But what, what about what about cutting spending? Whatever happened to that? Instead of taking away middle-class people's ability to contribute to a 401K plan and save for retirement, why don't we cut spending if you want it to be new, revenue neutral? All right, Mom of the Year Award. <laughs> This is the way the Journal Sentinel reports it. Putting her son on the roof of their minivan probably seemed like a good idea at the time. This is the way the Journal Sentinel writes. Let me just read that again. Putting her son on the roof of the minivan probably seemed like a good idea at the time. right, I'm trying to picture under any circumstance where putting your nine-year-old son on the roof of the van would be a good idea at any time. All right, here's the story. Amber Schmunk, 49, of Fredonia, was trying to get a plastic wading pool home on September 9th, and it didn't fit in the wading, in the the minivan. So she put it on the roof. Okay, I'm cool with this so far. Along with her nine-year-old son to hold it in place. Hey, Jeff, climb up on the roof of the van and hold down the pool. Another driver reported the unusual sight to Saukville police, no kidding, and two patrol cars stopped Schmunk a few minutes later after she had dropped the pool off at her sister's house on South Colonial Parkway. Schmunk told police her dad... The apple does not fall far from the tree. Schmunk told police that her dad let her do things like that often when she was nine. And besides... And besides... And besides... She had her son strapped down on top of the pool, and the ride only lasted 20 to 30 seconds before she moved her son back inside. So so the idiot, I I mean, I'm just, okay, so you put the plastic waiting pool on the top of the van, and apparently you've, you've got some strap that's supposed to hold it in. You take your kid and you put him on top of the pool under the strap. And she doesn't understand what the hell the problem is with this. Um, she said, oh, after a while, we, we moved him in back inside. The, la- the person who called 911 followed Schmunk for about a block before she stopped and took her son down from the roof. Police saw it differently, and now Schmunk is charged with second-degree recklessly endangering safety, a felony, you think? Um, she makes her for- first court appearance in Ozaki County Court on November 14th. My dad used to strap me to the top of the car and have me ride all over. I don't see what the big deal about this is. <laughs> you know, every once I've been doing this for, I've been doing this for a couple of decades now, and every once in a while you get these stories that you just you, you file under the category of you need a license to catch a fish, but any idiot can have a child. And this, with apologies to Amber Schmunk. I don't understand what the big deal is. What can you say? It's 138. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. What's the? Uh, let's see. Why is Packers tight end Martellus Bennett considering retirement? A powerful one-on-one conversation between Bennett and our own Jay Sorge. May review the answer. Check it out in the Packers section of WTMJ.com. Yes, um, Martellus Bennett, um, the, the heralded free agent tight end signing. All I have to say is I hope he is not walking past burning buildings when anybody might be throwing a child out because um, he, he's had the drops. Oh, catch the baby. Boom. Um, just saying. I mean, for all the money he's getting and his tout that he's getting. And I understand it's you know still half of the season to go. But you want to talk about uh, disappointments. It would seem to me that he would be one of them. Hey, coming up tomorrow. I'm um, right out of the start of the box. Uh, there is a a very contested Supreme Court race. Mike Gableman, who is part of the five to two conservative majority on the state Supreme Court, um, he, he's retiring. He, he's stepping down. Served one ten-year term. There's three people that are running to uh, replace him. Two are very liberal. One is just a way, way out there, Madison lawyer. The other is a Milwaukee County Circuit Court judge. Do I need to say more? And then there's a conservative who is running. That conservative actually it was kind of targeted with I what I think was a really cheap shot smear campaign earlier this week the left is all up in arms trying to defeat him um, we're gonna be joined by uh, that Supreme Court candidate uh, at 1205 or about 1208 tomorrow right out of the start of the show all right I, I mentioned this a couple of days ago I, I rarely do I-, I rarely do interviews with you know, magazines or with newspapers simply because I've got three hours a day to talk to you, and I, it's kind of like, okay, why anything I have to say? I have more than enough opportunity to say it, and, and why filter it through some, you know, reporter's prism? But I, I did agree the other day to do a journal, uh, an interview with the National Journal, which covers um, politics across the country. But they they called me up, and a couple other talk show hosts in Wisconsin, they called us up, and they wanted to talk about the the race for the Republican nomination for Senate between Kevin Nicholson who is a first time candidate who has some backing by the from the like the Steve Bannon We love Trump and if you're not 100% with Trump, you're not our kind of guy, that wing of, of the party. And he is running against, Kevin Nicholson is running against Leah Vukmir, who is extremely well-known, I think, to everybody in southeastern Wisconsin. Um, Leah Vukmir has been a leader in the conservative movement for well over a decade, actually more than that. And she was side-by-side side with Governor Walker during the battle for Act 10 and Right to Work and all sorts of controversial initiatives, conservative initiatives. So um, Bannon issues an endorsement of this Kevin Nicholson. And we, the National Journal was interviewing myself and a couple of the talk show hosts about the impact of this. And, and all of us were, I think, singularly unimpressed. Now, I haven't made a decision whether I'm going to endorse anybody in the primary. I typically don't. But my point was, if anybody's out there Suggesting that Leah Vukmir is not a is not a true conservative, that message just is not going to fly. I mean, it, it, it's just not. I mean, and and quite candidly, the last thing I think those of us who followed Wisconsin politics for years, need is some outside flamethrower coming in and, and telling us who true conservatives are or not. But this puts this Kevin Nicholson in a bit of a trick box because you've got that with the ban in support, um, you, you've got some political action committees that are going to put some money into this race. So you, you have a position where, you know, in the primary Donald Trump, now President Trump, didn't win the Wisconsin primary. And I think part of that is because we in Wisconsin know who true conservatives are, and and we don't need to be lectured on that. So anyhow, he's apparently at a Republican Party event. This is Kevin Nicholson in Jefferson County the other day, and the Journal Sentinel has this report. Um, Somebody in the audience asks him uh, about Paul Ryan. Now, let me back up here. I have known Paul Ryan Since before he ran for office the first time. So we're going back to the the mid-1990s. I mean, Paul Ryan has a very, very thankless job um, right now as the Speaker of the House. Anybody who thinks that Paul Ryan is not a true conservative is an idiot. And and I'm sorry, there's just no other way that, that you can say that. I mean, I have watched Paul Ryan's career over the course of the last couple decades. Paul Ryan has, again, been a leader in conservative thought, both in Wisconsin and nationwide. I mean, and and he just he has been. We could go into the details, but that doesn't matter. So anyhow, it's Jefferson County. Somebody asked this Kevin Nicholson uh, about Paul Ryan, at which point he he says, well, the, the fact that Ryan has occasionally lukewarm support for President Trump is, quote unquote, a problem. Huh a problem that Paul Ryan hasn't completely drunk the Kool-Aid, and when President Trump does particularly stupid things, like some of the 3 a.m. tweets or trying to pick a fight with a war widow or whatever, the fact that Ryan hasn't been in the front line of defending him, that, that Nicholson views this as a problem. Then he goes on to say that uh criticized Ryan for having a light footprint in the state. I don't know what that means. I I have no idea what it means, a light footprint in the state. But anybody who has been in this state for any length of time and has been around politics for any length of time knows that rather than having a light footprint in the state, Paul Ryan, the Speaker of the House of Representatives, former Chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee, casts an extremely long shadow. <laughs> he's got a light footprint. I, I don't know. I have no idea what that means other than that he's saying it derisively. Um, I understand that there's Democratic challengers to Paul Ryan and they're raising money nationwide. Any Democratic challenge is going to get crushed. Paul Ryan's going to win with 60 to 65% of the vote. Paul Ryan is a solid conservative. And if Kevin Nicholson and Steve Bannon decide that the, think they think that the way to get elected in the state of Wisconsin is to go into... Jefferson County or Racine County or anywhere and try to disparage Paul Ryan, well, that you want to talk about marginalizing yourself. Paul Ryan casts a light footprint in the state. Wow. I mean... If a guy like Kevin Nicholson had been in Wisconsin politics, fighting in the trenches for the last couple decades, like guys like Paul Ryan and Leah Vukmir have been, maybe he would have some credibility when he says that. Otherwise, if we're just parroting the lines from Steve Bannon, well, I don't think Wisconsin voters, particularly Wisconsin conservative voters, need to be told that. 145, this is Jeff Wagner. It's 148, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Rested and ready to go, the Green Bay Packers host the Detroit Lions in a primetime Monday night game. Gene Miller is joined by the man in charge, that's head coach Mike McCarthy, 625 tomorrow on Wisconsin's Morning News. Um, Governor Walker is going to be, I guess, formally announcing any day now that he is running for a third four-year term. And unlike in in years past, this, this time... I don't know whether it's emboldened by the, the activist left or whatever. You have a, a whole bunch of – everybody that has ever wanted to be governor is coming out literally from under the woodwork. And they are scurrying into the center of, of the kitchen. You have you – you got guys like Matt Flynn who's – you know, attorney downtown, I've known Matt for a long time, but his political relevance ended, I don't know, after the fourth or fifth time he lost a race. He wants to be a governor. You've got, um, Tony Evers, the guy who, you know, has been the, the superintendent of schools, which is, for the state, which is, about as much of a nothing job as you possibly can. You know he's running in it. You've got a, a Milwaukee businessman who's up to his neck in all sorts of problems who's running. You've got um, one of the the goos one of these guys that used to run this like left wing, um, good quote unquote good government organization called Mike McCabe. You've got a lot of backbenchers from the state legislature. I mean you, you have. I mean you're going to have a, a multi contested primary, and I guess anybody can emerge from this. But the truth of the matter is there, there's no heavyweights in the the entire list. And anybody who ends up getting the Democratic nomination is going to go on and they're going to lose to Governor Walker. And they're probably going to lose soundly, um, even in an off year uh, election. But into this fray, like I say, everybody that has ever wanted to be governor, including some people who recognize that their time might be running out, are, are wading into this, which is why I just had to smile with the latest one. Um Paul Soglin is the aging hippie mayor of of Madison. Now, what have we learned over the last couple elections? And that is, in statewide elections, with the exception of Tammy Baldwin, in statewide elections, when you have Madison or Milwaukee lefties that run, what happens? They end up getting dropped and. Paul Soglin is the quintessential. I mean, Paul Soglin's days in Madison go back to, I mean, what I understand for a lot in the the, the counterculture movement. He goes back to the, the, the 1960s and the peace, love, dope, you know, um, all th- that kind of era. He is now the aging mayor of, of Madison. He tells the Capitol Times that um, he's going to be he's going to be announcing, uh, presumably after the first of the year, that he is, in fact, going to going to run against, you know, Scott Walker. So, I mean, again, I, far be it for me to advise the Democratic Party as to who they should nominate that has a chance to beat Scott Walker. And I'm not sure who that candidate would be. I, I will say this. The, the hippy-dippy mayor of Madison, who, again, goes back to 1968, that was kind of like his glory days, having him run for governor, is a recipe for, I think, about 40% of the vote. Now, I'm not necessarily saying that he's not going to get the nomination. I mean, keep in mind, you've got this incredibly crowded field. You have, I don't know, you have... Maybe you've got ten candidates that run, so you've got a ten candidate field, and if people split their vote, you know maybe you know by just trying to if you can get the Madison voters to coalesce around you, you can get fifteen or eighteen or twenty percent of the Democratic primary vote. Maybe that's all you need to be the nominee. but I will tell you this: there's got to be people in the Walker campaign that is looking through the the list of the people who are running against him, going, really, really, really?" And Paul Soglin, adding his name to that, I'm pretty confident it doesn't necessarily strike too much fear in the heart of the Walker campaign. It'll be interesting to see how many people ultimately get in the race. Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten? Who knows? It's kind of like... If you have a D behind your name and you decide that this is the chance that you want to be governor, and and maybe in some cases what they recognize is that they're going to lose, but maybe they feel they position themselves to run again four years from now when Governor Walker has said he probably won't run. Maybe that's what it's all about. But Paul Soglin, 1968, it's calling, and it wants its candidate back. It's 153. This is Jeff Wagner. (laughs) It's 156. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Coming up in about 10 minutes, if you're old enough to fight, should you be old enough to be paid to play basketball? It's an interesting topic. We will discuss the, this. The, the aftermath of the Harvey Weinstein thing just continues to you know, take off. Um, Olivia Munn. The ex girlfriend of Aaron Rodgers. I think most people around here say, "Yeah, kind of good riddance." Um, but Olivia Munn, she she's back in the news. She what, what's happening now is there's been sort of a dam that has broken, and ever since the Harvey Weinstein allegations, he's of course the big producer who um, you, g- gave the term couch, casting couch a, a new you know definition. Um, women all sorts of women and some men are coming forward and they're making all sorts of allegations of sexual misconduct against all sorts of Hollywood players and my guess is it, it just this went on I mean my guess is this was just kind of standard thing in the, this industry and Olivia Munn for example she's out today accusing uh, a director of one of the X-Men movies of um, at least engaging in like weird and inappropriate behavior in front of her. So it's, it's one allegation after another. This is, of course, spreading. You have, I mean, we, we saw this with Bill Riley. There's allegations against Mark Halprim. Um, here's the latest thing. Um, the NPR chief, the chief editor at National Public Radio, was placed on leave yesterday after a public report that he abruptly kissed women, two women who were seeking jobs, while he, was with the wa- while he was the Washington bureau chief at the New York Times in the 1990s. Imagine that. Imagine that somebody who works for the New York Times might have engaged in inappropriate sexual behavior. But again, this goes back to the 1990s. What I am fascinated by and, and what I'm about to say is by no way, shape, in w- no way, way, for sure shape or form endorsement of that this kind of behavior. But you do wonder, with Kevin Spacey, for example, the, the allegations a- against him that he got drunk and he tried to you know, um, molest this 14-year-old boy, that, that happened 30 years ago. Th- these allegations um, you know, that they've gotten the NPR guy suspended, um, you know, go back to the 1990s, I guess the question is going to be, um, is there ever going to be a statute of limitations on, on bad behavior, and how do... how do the these old allegations end up playing out, and um, you know who's going to be next? So, like I say, if this is going making its way through Hollywood, it's also making its way through places like NPR, Fox News, just, just all over. You wonder where it's going to end. All right, when we come back in just a couple minutes, um, if you're old enough to fight, should you be old enough to be paid to play basketball? Stick around. It's one fifty nine. It's two oh seven Jeff Wagner six twenty WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. All right, let's see. Who do you side with, the ACLU or Waukesha County Sheriff Eric Severson? This story is from a couple days ago, and actually, I was kind of I've been piecing it together. Um, the executive director of the American Civil Liberties Union Wisconsin has his undies in a bundle. Because he's found out that the Waukesha County Sheriff's program, Sheriff's Department, has applied to participate in a federal program with the Office of Immigration and Custom Enforcement (ICE). Now, here's how here's how the whole thing works. Um, if if you have somebody who you're, let's say you're in local law enforcement, and you have somebody that you arrest for for a crime. Um, you charge them with, I don't know, I don't care what it is, drunk driving or burglary or whatever. They come into your jail and you have information to believe that the person is in this country illegally and subject to deportation. Well, let's say the person makes bail. Let's say you have somebody who's an illegal alien, um, but they're getting ready to make bail on whatever charge you have. And your concern is, of course, well, if they're not in this country legally, you know, why are we just going to be turning them back to the community? Well, what immigration federal immigration authorities can do is they can put what is known as a detainer um, on the person. And what the, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a legal process for this. But essentially what the detainer says is that in the event, let's say you have somebody who is in the country illegally, and they appear in front of a judge, they're charged with burglary, and the judge sets a $2,500 bail. In Milwaukee County, it would be a um, signature bond. Well, what the detainer is, it's something that immigration, federal authorities put on the person, It says if the person makes bail, don't let him out, detain him, and we will come pick him up. And there's a process and a a period of time that you have to then come pick him up. And then immigration authorities can make the decision about whether they're going to go ahead and try to deport the person or whether they're going to refer him for him or her for criminal charges, for you know, being in the country illegally, maybe they've come back after deportation, you know, whatever, or immigration could say, you know, th- this particular person, it's not worth our time, so we're not going to do anything. But the detainer says, hold the person while we make the decision so we can come pick him up before he or she bails out and then you know, just kind of disappears into the community, right? What the Waukesha sheriff has done is he's applied to participate in a program which has to do, they call it the jail model program. And what this does is it would allow certain officers, in this case Waukesha deputy sheriffs, to issue immigration detainers um, so that they could hold, you know, inmates. Who would otherwise bail out essentially it would allow the local law enforcement people the deputies to act as the federal immigration agent for this limited purpose so we're going to put the detainer on them and then that's going to hold them now of course if the person then makes bail like I say there's a special set period of time for when they've got to come and they've got to you know pick them up and they've got to do it but this would Allow the local agent to essentially act as the immigration um, official. And it would have the opportunity, and what it really does is it makes sure, or it helps make sure, that somebody who should be held for deportation or prosecution or whatever doesn't slip through the cracks. So it's not one of these where, hey, we picked up this guy who um, you was know, is, is wanted for immigration violations. You know, We think he's going to bail out in six hours, and immigration doesn't have time to come get him because there's lack of notice. This is just a way of, uh, again, improving the flexibility. Well, the ACLU is all upset about this. Uh, they say that if you allow the local deputies to do this, it will – now I'm quoting – erode bonds of trust between Waukesha County's immigrant community and law enforcement, deterring reports of crime and cooperation with law enforcement while wasting taxpayer resources. Um, All right. Well, the the sheriff says it, it, it does nothing about that at all. We're not talking about, you know, people who come forward and report crimes. We're talking about people who are in the jail. You know, we're talking about people who have been arrested and and yes if you've been arrested and you've been accused of a crime yeah we want to make sure that if you're not supposed to be released you don't get released 414-799-1620 that is the acunet mortgage talk and text line ACLU very very unhappy with the walk of Shaw County Sheriff over his desire to participate in this program my guess is the majority of people are going to say well of course This just makes sense. Again, we're not talking about Waukesha deputies going door to door and trying to ask people for immigration papers. We're not talking about somebody who calls to report a crime being questioned about whether you're here in the country legally or not. We're talking about people who have been placed in the jail, not being released, until immigration authorities have an opportunity to decide if they want them. And this is an opportunity to, I I think, make sure that somebody doesn't slip through the cracks. But let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this this drastic violation of individual rights, which is going to erode confidence between law enforcement and the general community in Waukesha? Or is this just something that makes... Pure, honest to goodness, common sense, and shouldn't be just being done in Waukesha, but should probably be being done in all the 70 plus counties we have in the state of Wisconsin. 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 214. This is Jeff Wagner. It's two seventeen. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. Improving your corporate culture is more than just putting up a pool table at the office. A lead executive at GMR Marketing shares her secrets to corporate culture with the folks at New Walkie in the latest intersection of people in place podcast that is up now on WTMJ Mobile. Hey, while you go there, like you'll see a wide variety of podcasts that we have. You're going to see some podcasts from voices that you don't typically hear on the radio and check those out. And then all all our programs: uh, Wisconsin's Morning News, Steve's Cafeteria Show my show, Wisconsin's Afternoon News, and uh, Sports Central. Those are podcasts, and so you can check them out. I know lots of people download the podcast of this show and take it with them so they can listen whenever they want, and I appreciate that a lot. All right, 414-799-1620, that is the Accunate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Right now, we're discussing what is a controversy, at least in the minds of some people, out in, in Waukesha over a decision by the sheriff, to participate or to try to. He's applied to participate in this federal program, which would allow some of his deputies to essentially act as immigration officers for the purpose of putting detainers on people. A detainer is something that holds someone who's been charged with a crime, something that holds somebody who's in custody, and prevents them from being released until federal immigration officials can, can come in and, again, make the decision as to what they want to do with them. Do you want to let the person be released? Do you want to to file charges, federal charges, if they're applicable, what do you want to end up doing? Kevin in Muskego writes, this makes perfect sense. You streamline the process and you cut out the middleman. There have been stories about certain cities um, complying with ICE by noting them by facts in the middle of the night. Yeah, see, that's, I mean, that, that's the problem here. Let's say you have somebody who you know is in this country illegally, and they're charged with a relatively serious crime, but because you don't want to, because of political correctness or whatever, cooperate with immigration authorities, you have some of these sheriff's departments or local police departments, that they'll, they'll say, oh, by the way, you know, we arrested this guy three days ago. We didn't bother telling you, but um, he's just made bail, and he's going to be released in about three hours, or he's going to be released at 730 in the morning, and you send the text at 1 in the morning. All right. Well, there's no way under those situations, that the immigration people can go over and can pick him up. So as a result, the guy gets to be released. He goes out in the community. Maybe he shows up for his court appearance. Maybe he commits another crime, like kills a woman, um, like happened in San Francisco. But but regardless, you know, he, he's out on the street. And the point is, he should not be out on the street in the first place. All this does is make sure that those individuals who shouldn't be released without federal immigration officials at least getting a chance to decide if they want to take him into custody. This makes it easier to make sure that that type of mistake does not happen. And candidly, like I said a couple of minutes ago, not only do I think that Eric Severson, he's the Waukesha County Sheriff, not only do I think that he deserves to be applauded for doing this, because in my opinion, he's looking out for the safety of his constituents, the people in Waukesha County. But the question isn't, gee, um, should he be criticized for doing this? The answer is no. The reality is all the other 71 sheriffs in Wisconsin counties, I think they should be doing the same sort of thing. And this doesn't erode the trust in the community. It just makes sure that if somebody who shouldn't be out on the street, somebody who shouldn't be out on the street, um, doesn't get out on the street. And that's not rocket science. It's 221. This is Jeff Wagner it's 224 Jeff Wagner 620 WTMJ so very glad to have you with us Um, Lincoln Hills as long as we're talking about law enforcement issues Lincoln Hills is the the juvenile correctional facility um, up in the Northwoods um, for for boys and it's been in the news a lot lately for well, reasons that aren't necessarily surprising, but are, in, in fact, just the, the unfortunate reality. In, let me back up here. In Wisconsin, you have to work to get yourself sent to Lincoln Hills. I mean, it, it, we, we have a judicial system when it comes to juveniles that bend, not only bends over backwards, but does three backflips to avoid trying to send juveniles to a correctional facility like Lincoln Hills. And Lincoln Hills is the detention facility for boys. Um, The the people that go to Lincoln Hills, the, the 150, however many there are there now, are the worst of the worst. I mean, they are either kids, and I say kids in quotation marks, who have a lengthy and progressive history of criminal behavior, almost all of which involves, at some point in time, violence, or... They're kids that have done, and I say again, kids in quotation marks, who have done something really, really horrendous and as a result, you know, have to be in- incarcerated. So, you you you're not talking about a couple kids that go out and you know TP the principal's house. That's not what this is. These are hardcore criminals. Oh, how can you say that about 16-year-olds? Well, that that's the truth. You've got hardcore criminals who are well on their way to being, you know, essentially lifetime criminals, career criminals even by the age of 15 or or 16. Now you can argue all you want about you no, know, we, we need to do more to intervene and get these kids at the age of eight out of their horrible backgrounds and stuff. And I don't, you know, I leave that for smarter people than me. All I know is that when you reach a point where you're 14 or 15 or 16 or 17 and you've committed a series of violent, progressive, horrific acts, at some point in time, you need to be taken out of the community. The uh, You need, we, law-abiding members of society, need to be protected from the 16-year-old punks that decide that they're going to stick a gun in your wife's face and steal her car. I'm sorry, if that makes me a reactionary, I'll I'll live with that. So the the problem is you've got this incredibly bad element, the worst of the worst that are in these facilities, and they're unmanageable. They're they're unmanageable. This isn't the Lever to Beaver days. They are just absolutely unmanageable. And so, again, our friends at the ACLU, they come in, they file this lawsuit saying, hey, these guards, they're using restraints. They're using pepper spray on these poor children. And you know what? They are. But because that's the only way they can control the inmates in this facility. So then you have a very liberal federal judge out of Madison who has really never dealt with the impact of extensive criminal behavior. He wades in and says, oh, this, this is just terrible. We're violating all the rights. So he puts in all these restrictions about the, the use of solitary confinement and the circumstances under which you can use pepper spray and, and, you know, restrain these kids. And what ends up happening is now you literally have, to borrow the phrase, you have the inmates running the prison. Because what's happened is, emboldened by this federal judge's ruling, you can't do anything to me, you've had one incident after another where you have these violent juvenile offenders who are now acting up, attacking guards, attacking teachers, grabbing contraband, provoking fights, and the situation is is ending up getting in a situation where it's, it's worse. Uh, story yesterday, Lincoln Hills Teen Prison put on lockdown because apparently a lot of the inmates had been stealing things like drill bits and stuff like that. And prison officials were afraid that what they were going to do is they were planning a full-scale prison riot and they were going to use these things as weapons. And again, I understand that we're talking about 14 and 15 and 16-year-olds, but these are out-of-control criminals. These are not – this is not, you know, Wally and Eddie and Lumpy who, you know, threw eggs at somebody's house. These are dangerous, dangerous people. Well, the response from the chattering class has been, oh, this shows all the problems at Lincoln Hills. This is why we need to close Lincoln Hills and we need to come up with alternatives. No, no, no. It's exactly the opposite. The problem we have is that there are no consequences for repeat juvenile misbehavior. And the answer isn't to close a place like Lincoln Hills. The answer is we need to build more juvenile facilities. Now, if you want to argue that, you know, we should have one, again, closer to Milwaukee, so when you have all the criminals that are coming out of Milwaukee, they don't have to travel, you know, two-thirds of the way around the state, I think that that's a reasonable position to take. But here's what the legislature should be doing. Um, we should be looking at figuring out ways. Again, we're talking about the repeat juvenile offenders. We, we shouldn't be making it more difficult To send people to lincoln hills we should be making it easier for the juvenile judges to send these dangerous kids into different facilities and if that means building another facility in outside of milwaukee county i say do it if it means building a half dozen more facilities like a lincoln hills closer to the various areas where there's crimes, I say do it. At the end of the day, it is about public safety. And I don't know about you, but I, for one, am sick of on a daily basis hearing stories about 16-year-old kids with records as long as your arm taking loaded guns and sticking them in the face of women and stealing their cars or assaulting people or killing people. I mean, at some point in time, don't we need to try to stop this? and deter this behavior before it escalates to the points that it is getting. And, yeah, if you steal a car 15 or 20 times, yes, you should be in jail as well. I don't care if you're 15 years old. Just saying. It's 2.35. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Um, Acting Milwaukee County Sheriff Richard Smith is going to be having a press conference. It's supposed to be scheduled at 2.30. At and, again, um, he, he's pulling a... Well, Barack Obama or, or whatever I mean it's just the, the idea I don't understand what's so hard you, you say okay we're going to have a press conference at X amount of time you you're the one that gets to decide when you're going to make that announcement I mean it's it's like you can say okay this is when I'm going to do the press conference there's nothing magic that says you have to do it at 230 you get to this is when my pet peeves you get to decide when you want to do it so you know but but it, it's it's like it's kind of like okay you call up to make an appointment to get your hair cut and the barber says you know herb says well jeff i've got these different times and then you say okay i'll i'll be there at at 320 well okay i got to pick the time that means it's my responsibility to be there by by 320 but um richard schmidt the acting sheriff is they they announced a press conference for 230 it's now 236 wants to talk about that the wrong way driver and if you were um, trying to get out and about on the freeway this morning, you know what a huge problem this was. You had somebody that got on the freeway once again going the wrong way and slammed head-on into a semi. The uh, the driver of the vehicle was killed. And I, I said this earlier. I'm not trying to be flip about this. I, I don't know hey, if people think about how, how they want their lives to end. But if I think about ways I don't want to go, it's smashing head-on into a semi while driving the wrong way on the freeway. In any event, I don't know if alcohol was involved. I don't know what they're going to say, but they're going to have a press conference in just a couple minutes. It was scheduled to, again, start seven minutes ago. Um, and we'll we'll at least dip in and see what he has to say initially, simply because that was such a huge story this morning and it does of course raise the larger issue that you have to face which is this happens on a regular basis i mean we're seeing this happen over and over and over again around here where you have people that get on the freeway and they are driving the wrong way so it ends up being again extremely extremely frustrating and extremely dangerous especially for anybody who's been in a situation where that has happened to them tell you what let's take a very quick break um we'll cut the break short if the sheriff decides to start the press conference um a lot of stuff to discuss stick around 238 jeff wagner 620 wtmj it's 247 jeff wagner 620 wtmj so very glad to have you with us you don't hear me say this very often um but here, here's one you can mark the tape grew who's producing the show today uh tom barrett's right uh there there's <laughs> on this particular issue uh um, the Milwaukee Fire and Police Commission, which is sort of a wholly owned subsidiary of the, the mayor's office uh, and, and very, let me put it like this, very little happens with the Fire and Police Commission that doesn't have the seal of approval from the mayor. And, and the way it works right now is essentially it, it's the, the mayor who um, decides, you know, essentially who gets on the, the board, although that there is a little bit of a review process that's there. Um, What's going on is there are some people in the state government who are, in the Assembly in particular, considering introducing legislation which would require the Milwaukee Board of Fire and Police to have at least one member with professional law enforcement experience and one with professional firefighting experience. There's five members. The bill would also require one of those members to be on panels for disciplinary hearings, depending on whether it's a police officer or a firefighter. The mayor is absolutely outraged about this. He says, well, this would decimate the Fire and Police Commission's independence um, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I, I, I don't know. What, what the mayor is really upset about is that this might have the effect of taking away his ability to control the Fire and Police Commission. Having said that, I really do think that this is a situation where at some point in time you, you've got to allow local control. Now, in all honesty, I, I would think that you would, if you were – the mayor of Milwaukee, whether it's Tom Barrett or Ashanti Hamilton or John Norquist or Henry Meyer or whatever, I would think that if you were interested in, I don't know, the, the best government possible, you would be actively trying to find somebody to serve on the Fire and Police Commission, at, at least one, I would say maybe more, who has professional law enforcement experience. So then they know what the heck they're talking about. Or alternatively, again, somebody who has experience, you know, in, in firefighting, so they, they know what they're talking about. I think that this would be something that would be desirable and something that you should be trying to find. That doesn't mean, though, that you necessarily need a state law which says you have to you have to do this. Um, I can see situations where it might be unworkable, um, but but to me. When it comes to the administration of a police department, and ultimately, the mayor is the one who's ultimately held responsible. If you have a fire and police commission that's completely out there, well, that becomes an issue that you run against the mayor on. Just like the Common Council has this, you know, very bad bad plan they're trying to get enough votes to override a mayoral veto so that the common council could essentially decide when to fire a police chief i don't think that's a good idea either i have said that i think it's way past time for milwaukee police chief ed flynn to go i think he's kind of served his usefulness i think he's kind of hanging on now i think they need some fresh blood and some new ideas but having said that I don't necessarily think it's a good idea for elected members of the Common Council to be the ones that decide when you could fire a police chief. And I can only imagine what the nightmare, what kind of nightmare that would cause. What happens if you have a predominantly, for example, liberal, left-leaning fire out Common Council? that decides that they want to – we don't like this new police chief because he, he's locking up people, you know. And, and we've got some of our constituents who are complaining. I don't want the, the elected officials to be able to fire him. The elected officials have their bully pulpits. They can criticize him. They can put pressure on him. And ultimately, um, it's the mayor that ends up being held accountable. And I think that's the way it should be. And so I think some of these efforts to try to change way and move around how the Fire and Police Commission – is constituted, or who it is that the in this case the chief of police reports to, I think that's ill considered. Here's something else that is ill considered, and uh, Scott Fitzgerald, who is the leader of the Republican majority in the Senate, he's the Senate Majority Leader. Um, he is absolutely right the, on on this issue, and I'm candidly I'm even surprised that this has come up. Now here's kind of a novel theory. And maybe this is just the recovering lawyer in me speaking, but I have always believed that before you sign something, especially something that's important, it's important to kind of look through it. I mean, just, you know, and, and I understand there's a lot of people who, who don't do that, and, and maybe I'm kind of the exception to the rule. And I'm not saying you necessarily have to review all the weird little fine print, but in general, I think it is a good idea. When I am presented with contracts here from WTMJ, I believe it or not, I actually read them. And then sometimes I ask questions about them. What does this provision mean? What does that provision mean? How is this interpreted? Those type of things. I think it's a good idea, as a general rule, to read something before you sign it. So here's the deal. The Wisconsin Economic Development Corps, uh, WEDC, wedic is negotiating the final fo- contract with Foxconn. Right? I'm a huge supporter of this. Um, the group, WIDIC, has said that the agency's board would only get a summary of the final contract before voting on this. All right. Now, I don't know that all the board members, I don't know that all of them are going to necessarily want to read however many hundred pages are involved there. But the idea that you're not, that you're expected to vote on something and you're not going to at least have access to the document that you're voting on, just a summary makes absolutely no sense to me. I was talking to somebody the other day. I asked about, you know, what a certain what a certain thing meant. And they kind of said, "Okay, well here's what the summary is." Well, all right. Honestly, I started looking at it and the summary that the person had given me wasn't to the lawyer in me, it wasn't what the document said. Now I don't think they were trying to mislead me. me something just, they just—they didn't quite understand one pro- provision in particular. So I, I mean, I wanted to see what the actual document itself said. If I were, if I were on the agency's board, and I was expecting to vote on something that involved committing potentially three billion dollars in subsidies to Foxconn. I think it would be reasonable to say, show me the language. At least give me an opportunity to read it. And Scott Fitzgerald is saying, you know, I've talked to the secretary of administration. We pretty much all agree that people shouldn't have to vote on something based on an executive summary. That is just common sense. Speaking of common sense, John McCure is in next. We'll find out what he's got on his agenda. Stick around. It's 255.